February 27, 2011, lecture discussion number 34 on the Book of Romans. Um, and now, let me say this really quickly off of the, off the bat. There have been 33 previous sermons. And that means if this is your first one, this is going to be a little bit extraordinary to you. And unfortunately, the people that have wanted me to do this, because every so often one of these particular type of sermons roll along, which pretty much solves and answers almost every question that I asked in the previous ten. And this is what one of these is today. And so if you're here, you're going to get a lot of answers and very few questions. And that is a real disadvantage. It is better to know the questions and without having the answers than the other way around. But hopefully that will work out. Now, also before we go, because I promised these folks that I would do this, they're going to listen to find out if I actually did it. Um, and that is, I want to say uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Muffaletto, who was my surgeon, and his staff, Sharon and Lori, and of course the Surgery Center of Anchorage, where I had this done, and they did an incredible job. It was a, a, as good of experience as I could have. Uh, uh, Claudette and Tasha and Leanne, Amy and Roberto, and I do not know the name of the anesthesiologist, but I do know what he did to me, and when he did it exactly. I'm, I'm in a very... I'm okay, and I'm talking to Lori, and I say, oh, wow, you have done something to me. And he did. He was off fiddling with my IV. It only took Leanne three shots at the IV. Actually, there was another wonderful lady that should play the piano or play basketball. She was, uh, I told her so, because I was very, what was the word I want? I was, I was trying to be likable and pathetic simultaneously <laughs> to to try to encourage them to be kind to me, both uh, both surgery-wise and financially, but uh, we'll see how that's worked out. Um, in any event, uh, she was nice, and she was unable. Uh, I, she said, for a person that has so many veins, none of them have blood in them. And I know, <laughs> I know a lot of you were thinking that. I know you were. And so, but Leanne managed uh, with a ball peen hammer and a. And a 18 volt drill gun to get it, uh, get the, uh, and, and I told her that I would sue her, of course, while she was doing it. She had a great sense of humor and, and we all appreciated Amy on the other side as well. But, uh, so thanks again to them, a wonderful staff and a fantastic job. Uh, unfortunately, as I was saying, uh, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't taken the pain medication. I did it the first day. And that's part of my problem here. Uh, but I haven't done it because, uh, and if you know anything about laparoscopic uh, surgery, for, they staple it to you. So that's a really cool thing. It's a, you know, I think it's 140 pounds of air pressure, big hose, and a gun. It's just like a roofing stapler, I think. It's exactly how it works. Uh, maybe not, but is that phone for me? Oh, it's, it's time. Wow. Well, anyway, I didn't take the pain meds, and that was a uh, fascinating thing. I didn't do well with them, and, and a few of you attest to that. I was, as I tried to say, I was a combination of uh, of the Rain Man and Elmer Fudd. I stuck this thing down. But I was brilliant. Uh, and John will tell you, I spoke, how fast was I going? About 1,500 words a second. I mean, I was flying and had all kinds of things. And a few of you called me and asked me theological questions. And, and uh, 
And then you called back the next day and said, man, I wish I had recorded that. I'd be, I'd be really, really wealthy. Uh, so, but again, in my little mind, I was doing very, very well. Eventually I figured out that I was talking fast. So, last time I'll mention it, um, uh, just again, uh, the people who were so good to us, uh, Dr. Muffaletto and his staff and the people at the Surgery Center of Anchorage. Okay. We've been mostly preoccupied lately uh, with Old Testament answers for New Testament questions. That's essentially what we're doing. I say it all the time. I don't say it enough. If you have a New Testament question, if you run into something in the New Testament and you don't know what it's really saying or what the totality of the meaning is, the answer for you is in the Old Testament. That's all you have to do. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, it isn't all that easy, but first you have to find out where in the Old Testament the answer is. So if you want to know, for example, you see something on death, or if you see something on the mind and the body, or the uh, whatever your question may be in the New Testament, and all those uh, uh, questions are there, by the way, or mostly in uh, or quite a few of them in Romans specifically, as well as other places, you go to the Old Testament to find it. What I mean by that specifically here, though, is we found the confession of King David at Romans 3.10 through 12. Not actually. Actually, we find David's response at Romans 3.10 through 3.12 uh, to his own confession. His confession is at Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Now, I'll put that on the board here in a minute. Um, but know that David is responding, or I'm sorry, Romans 3.10 through 12 is David's response to his own confession. And he says essentially this, if you remember, and you should remember by now, and I know there's some folks here that haven't heard any of this, but he says this, David, that are here today, David says this, King David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is none who does good. There is none righteous, none who understands, none who seeks after God. No, not one. Probably the most second most important passage in all of the book of Romans, after the just shall live by faith. Now, this is written by David after David writes his first, or I'm sorry, writes his four how longs. His how longs are these. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Think about that for a second. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be over me? And those are the how longs of Psalm 13. After that, he writes, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. After that, he writes, none seeks after God, none who understand, none who does good, none righteous, no, not one. So he has the four how longs. And then he writes Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which, by the way, are mostly identical, but not quite. It's very important to know where they are not identical. Now, also after, also written... Um, he writes those words that I just did, the no, not ones, Psalm 14, Psalm 53. He writes after his prayer of repentance. So I have two places in the Old Testament, and this is where it needs to be on the board. I have Psalm 14. I have Psalm 53. Both of those are quoted because they're essentially the same in Romans 3. One is written after the four how longs. The other is written 
after his prayer of repentance. One, the how longs are called his trust in salvation. So after he writes his trust in salvation and his prayer of repentance, then he writes Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which are the no not ones. Does that make sense to anybody but me? I should film the audience. (laughs) So after the four how longs, which are his trust in salvation, and after his prayer of repentance, Psalm 51 and 52, David writes, there is none righteous, none who understands, none who seeks, none who does good, no, not one. So that order is very important. Thus, we've been asking the obvious question in all of that. What event in David's life caused him to write this? We got to know. And certainly it's a Holy Spirit inspired act because it's in Scripture. All all of Scripture is a Holy Spirit inspired act. But still, David was mourning for his sin. So, from which event, which sin, if you will, does does Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 arrive or arise from? Better well said that way. See, that's the obvious question, right? Which specific sins is David referring to when he writes, there is none righteous, none who understands, none who does good, none who seeks, no, not one. So, I have been doing my best to make the case that David is referencing in his Trust in salvation or his four how longs and his prayer of repentance and his there is none. I have been making my best to make the case that David is referencing the rape or his rape of Bathsheba, his taking of Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, which is Second Samuel eleven twelve. <coughs> Excuse me. And I don't believe, by the way, <coughs> that that can be disputed. I don't believe there's any other conclusion that you can draw, but that's what he's talking about in Psalm 14, Psalm 53. And I believe that is why it is at Romans 3, specifically. So I am saying to you that Paul decided that Romans 3 should have the no-not-ones, knowing full well that David was writing about Bathsheba and Uriah. I don't believe you can draw any other conclusion, which means then we end up necessarily at the Amalekite trilogy, or more specific, 1 Samuel 28 and 1 Samuel 15. Okay, I'm going to have to put that on the board, because I know what you're thinking. I can see you. I'm trying to solve one one thing for you. Why... Are these words written? Why did... Is that good? Can you see it? I, I have very good handwriting. <laughs> okay. I have very good handwriting when I go slow. Um, I'll try to do good. I think I'm okay. My problem is... Um, My problem is, is when I sit down and get up. If I stay up, then I'm pretty good shape. Okay, not in pretty good shape. I'm working. 
Psalm 14, Psalm 53 show up at Romans 3, 10 through 12. Question is why? It's Bathsheba derived. Okay? If we're going to study Bathsheba now to find out what's going on. Can everybody see the board here? This must be the cold side of the room. We used to have a cold side. Now, now we have pretty much a hot room. We're complaining about that. We used to freeze to death and have blankets and parkas on during the service. New people will think I'm kidding. Old people know that's exactly what happened. Everybody had a personal little heater. Anyway, Psalm 14. Uh, we couldn't pay the utility bill. It's another long story. Small church. Psalm 14, 50, and 53 are the same thing. They're the no-not ones which show up at Romans 3, 10 through 12. And that's because they're coming from Bathsheba, which is 2 Samuel uh, 11 and 12. And in order to solve 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we have to also then go to 1 Samuel 28, okay, and 1 Samuel 15. So, then, now we're in a position where we're solving things. This is not unlike any kind of investigative analysis. If you're going to try to find the problem, this is how you have to go about it. As you know, 1 Samuel 28 is the witch of Endor, right? And 1 Samuel 15 is the, is the cutting into pieces of Agag by Samuel. Samuel takes an, a, a sword and cuts him into pieces. And that has a relationship to the no, none are good, none seek after God. Agag was the king of the Amalekites, and that was something that Saul was supposed to do, was kill all the Amalekites, but he wouldn't do it. He didn't do it. He had his own reasons for not doing it, and God removed him as king of Israel because of that. Now, why is not killing the Amalekites such a big deal? It's a huge deal because of Exodus 17, as well as other places. Uh, I'm going to take you to Genesis 6 because of the Amalekites. I'll take you to Noah. Why? What happened at Ham and Noah? Why the curse? Why was Canaan the grandson cursed? I think it's obvious why he is, because the mother is contaminated, the wife of Ham. So all of that, if you weren't here for that, if you don't know what I'm saying, hang on. I'll, I'll, I'll get you going here in a minute. So that's what we've been doing, trying to solve David's words as well as trying to understand why the Apostle Paul... Who's the Apostle Paul? Who is he? Yeah, he's previously the murderous Pharisee Saul. And immediately that should get your attention. I have a lot of murder and killing going on here. Lots of it. I got Amalekites being slaughtered. I got Saul letting some of them live. I got God pulling him out as king. I've got David killing Uriah. I got children dying. I've got cover-ups. This is, this is as intense a murder mystery if you can. And then I have a confession from one murderer and then his response to his confession is at Romans 3. I wish someday somebody really make a story out of out of this. Not not Hollywood. They, they are as ignorant a group of people biblically as as ever existed. And then the Christians that try to make movies maybe make the worst movies ever made. So somehow I would love to have illiteracy literacy. Sorry, 
in, in, in scholarship dealing with these very important, uh, true events because they're fascinating. Every bit as fascinating as anything you can ever watch or know about. And they're extraordinary. They're in scripture. But Saul, you see, is previously, I mean, Paul is previously the Pharisee Saul, and he is the killer of Jewish Christians. And that's very important to this. Saul knows he's the killer of Jewish Christians. He knows he tortured and murdered thousands of them, everyone he could catch. He knows it. And that's why he puts David's words here in Romans 3. That's the whole point of it to him. He also knows what his name is. He knows it's Saul. He knows who he was named for. We'll get to that in a minute. And then finally, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to put his words at Romans 3.12 or 10 through 12 as exhibit A? What I mean by that is the no not ones, none are good, none understand, none seek. That's proof. That's definitive proof of something. Paul puts it there because it proves something. He knows what it means. He's trying to prove something to you, trying to prove something to me, trying to prove something to the Jews that are reading this in Rome, trying to prove something to the Gentiles that are reading this. He is proving something. What's he proving? And he knows that everyone who reads that knows all of the backstory of this, which we have lost. See, he is proving, it's the definitive proof that salvation is by grace alone, through faith, belief in the name of Jesus Christ alone. He is proving his thesis statement of Romans 1.17, which is Habakkuk 2.4, which is the just shall live by faith. The same thing, as you know, uh, as salvation is by grace alone, through faith in the name of Christ alone. The just shall live by faith. That's what he's proving. And he knows the murder of Bathsheba proves it. He knows the failure to kill the Amalekites proves that. So if somebody comes to you and says, I believe that salvation is by some other means than just grace, you can say, well, the solution to your problem, your error, you can be nicer than that. But you could say the solution, Paul proves it. He proves it by using David and Bathsheba and Uriah. He proves that salvation is by grace alone. The proof is with the, not is with Saul not killing the Amalekites and the witch of Endor, and the proof is me because I'm Saul, the murderer of Jewish Christians. That's why he put it here. It's proof. Paul placed David's words of remorse at Romans three. Paul is building a case. David's repentance for the wickedness that he wrought is evidence. And Paul knew very well that Psalm 14 and 15 were very important here because he knew these truths personally. He had the same agony that David had and that Saul had, I think, on a much higher level. Paul was Saul, as I said, the torturer, the killer of God's anointed women and children. Paul was Saul, the hunter of God's remnant. He is called the breather of threats and murder in Acts 9. The breeder of threats and murder. So ask this question right off the bat, why don't you? Why would Jesus Christ choose the Pharisee Saul as an apostle? Because Jesus Christ does it, Acts 9, 5 through 6. That's Christ that pulls the murderer. He picks a murderer. An absolute, would you have done that? I got an apostleship open. Why do I have an apostleship open, by the way? Judas is dead. Did you ever think that through? 
Saul is going to replace the most evil man, and you can't just call him a man. He's much more than that. The most evil creature outside of Satan that has ever existed. And you can make a case that he is even as evil as Satan. And those of you who haven't heard that before, um, uh, where are we? We are on, uh, Dave has been putting that lecture, there's about 30, I think, lectures on the person of Judas. Uh, on sermonaudio.com, uh, where you can find Cliffside and find those lectures. I think you'll find them enlightening, and it'll change your mind. But Saul has been picked by Christ to replace Judas. Extraordinary, and, and I wish we had time for that. How that decision must have stunned the watchers. Who are the watchers? Oops, bad news. Really bad. Thank you, dear. Dropped the holy dry erase marker, had no capacity to pick it up. Zero capacity. Well, maybe I could have found it, but that would have been, I've been stuck down there. Who, who are the watchers? Who watched God, Jesus Christ, Acts 9, pick Saul to replace Judas, who has gone to his own place, Acts 1. Who picked him? Christ, God picked him. Why? Why would he do that? Who was the most stunned by his replacement in the apostle ranks? Paul, Saul, the Pharisee Saul. He's picked by God to be an apostle. He's doing everything he can to hunt them down and kill them. That's his goal, it's his plan. He's the best there is at this. And he's picked. Why did God do that? Very important. Very important. Solves this problem, by the way. Anyway, I submit that the Apostle Paul was very well acquainted with his namesake, King Saul, especially after he was chosen as an apostle. I submit to you that, and I, I think I can prove it by what's going on in Romans 3 and the rest of the writings of Paul. He knew very well about the story of King Saul. He studied it and searched it. He knew it was important. He knew that he was another Saul. He shares something with Saul that's amazing. And he knew it. And they had the same name. That couldn't have been a coincidence to him, and he knew it. So I want you to know it. He knew that he is the namesake of King Saul, the murderer of the devoted ones of God also. Saul killed the Gibeonites. Saul who allowed the Amalekites to escape. Apostle Paul Saul knew exactly everything there was to know about King Saul and did what was obvious. What is obvious? He would compare it to himself. That's why he put Romans 3 in there the way he did. He would know that these, by the way, as a learned Pharisee, he would know that King Saul had a special relationship, not just to now Apostle Saul, if you will, but he would know that King Saul had a special relationship, a biblical relationship, because he's a Pharisee. He is the most learned Pharisee in the, in the, that has ever existed. Ask, how did he get that way? He knew that King Saul had a relationship with somebody besides him, and he would study that. Who is King Saul conjoined to, linked to, 
You can't say King Saul without Sam. Come on, you can do this. King David. King Saul. King David. Paul would know that. He would know that these two kings were linked all of their lives almost. King Saul, King David. Find one, the other is nearby. The next key that you must, that's critical for you to possess to understanding all of this. I'm going to give you a preview example of King Saul connected to King David, and then I'll go to the board here. And so I really get in a position where you can see the board because I'm going to solve the mystery for you today as best I can. And, um, and, and I want you to be able to see it. If you can do what I'm going to do for you today, you will be able to read the book of Romans correctly. That's why it's so important to you. And you have to be able to do this how? Without me. Without anybody. You gotta do it on your own. That's the plan. A little preview example here. David, in 2 Samuel 11, seeks out what? What's he after? He has a plan. He intends to take Bathsheba by force. It's adultery. It's rape. It's what he intends to do. Remember that story. If you haven't read it, you can go back and read it after we're done today. Uh, remember, he stays behind. He sends his army without their king, which is an unprecedented act. It's the time that the king goes at time of year, and he decides he's going to stay because he's going to take Bathsheba by force. And he watched her, and he carefully planned his sin, and he waited, and he knew Bathsheba was there. Remember all of that? Okay? Now, let's talk about Saul. Saul, likewise, seeks out adultery, doesn't he? Do you know where? Do you know why? He does it in 1 Samuel 28. How's he do it? I have adultery in both places. One is Bathsheba adultery, the other one is what? What God defines as adultery. What does God define adultery as? When God says adultery... You have to know that his definition of it always in some way incorporates paganism worship or idol worship, mysticism, witchcraft. Paul, Saul likewise seeks out adultery, an abomination. The abomination that makes desolate, by the way, the uh, where the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped as God, that is called an abomination that makes desolate. Abomination there in that, in that phrase means adultery. It's what it means. It's the adultery that makes desolate. Saul seeks out adultery. Paganism is adultery. And Saul knew this woman was there, this witch was there, because he says so. Find me a woman. He knew that she was there. So in both cases, I have adultery, I have a woman, I have a carefully planned event. I had them knowing ahead of time that the woman was there. So now the math. Here we go. <coughs> I'm coughing now, which is really good. Before when I was coughing, I was, first time I did it, I wasn't going to take the pain meds. I just wasn't going to do it. And I coughed. The next words out of my mouth was, give me the pain meds. 
And then I'm sitting there, or not sitting there, laying there, and I'm a lot happier person. I have the likability going for me now, a really big time. And there's a young kid, 18-year-old, that, that next to me, um, and he was also having, he only had a, a unilateral turn, which means he was a sissy. And one, So he's laying in there, and he coughs. And the first thing he does is go, oh, no. And I couldn't help but respond. I know exactly how he feels. And, and I'm happy now. I'm crazy. I will never be a drug addict. Never. I can't deal with the vomiting. First and foremost is a problem. But I also can't deal uh, with the nausea. I mean, I just can't imagine, I cannot imagine that somebody would intentionally do this to themselves. Uh, just get a hammer. And they'll say that you're dumb as a bag of hammers. Well, just get a bag of hammers and just hit yourself. It makes as much sense. But uh, Anyway, they told me, they said, you have to take these all. You have to take how many billions of milligrams they want me to take? The pills were, well, they were. Okay, they were, they still were big to me. I took them all as you were supposed to. Big mistake. Big mistake. I am no longer ahead of the pain because of my decision making, but I'm a lot happier. Now I ask Lori how she feels about me. I was a lot more manageable. I was a total idiot as opposed to just, you know, what I am now. Thank you for staying with me there. Okay, we have a math equation, don't we? I am proposing to you that 2 Samuel 11 and 12 equals 1 Samuel 28 and 1 Samuel 15. That's the math equation. So if you read it, you will find out whether or not I am correct. And of course, you know ahead of time that I'm correct, don't you? Why would you think that I wouldn't be? So you can now go and read Romans 3 and then go to 1 Samuel 28 and 15, then go to 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and you will solve this uh, heretofore very difficult portion in the New Testament. Old Testament answers for New Testament questions. If you just glanced over uh, Romans 3, my goodness, you've missed so much. And I don't want you to do that. Speaking of missing, if you've missed the previous lectures, this may seem impossible for you to understand today. I really feel bad because I know a lot of people thought, oh, he won't possibly show up today and do anything. And, and so they took the opportunity to go hide today, which bless them. It's a great idea. It's sunny out. Um, I get all of that, but it's really discouraging sometimes to me because I know what this is today. And I know you got to see it as well as hear it. And it is better to see it and not know what was previous than, than the other way around. But so truthfully, today is the key that unlocks everything, in my opinion. So you'll be able to retrace the path. I'm going to give it to you. You'll be able to go back to 2 Samuel 11, 1 Samuel 28 and 15, uh, and retrace, so to speak, knowing ahead of time how it ends. It's kind of like reading the end of the murder mystery and then finding the guy on the second or third page and going, aha. So that's what we're doing. And that may actually aid in understanding all these pieces that fit together. So what I'm about to do is, is uh, give you the end. So if, then you can go back, as I said, and reread these. Uh, eventually you're going to end up at 1 Samuel 31 and then 2 Samuel uh, 1. I should put those on the board. Exodus 17. Um, let me put Exodus 17 up here. Because Exodus 17 and 18 is the beginning of the Amalekite trilogy. 
and uh, um, and first or Second Samuel, First Samuel thirty-one, Second Samuel one is uh, where the Amalekite kills Saul or says he does. So it wraps up the Amalekite trilogy for you. Okay, and I know that isn't easy. Admittedly, it ain't easy. That's because why? Why isn't it easy? Why isn't it easy? You're sitting in here, you're listening to me, some of you for the first time, and you're going, what? Well, this isn't easy. This is like Chinese arithmetic. What's he doing? How come the Bible isn't easy? It's not supposed to be easy. He didn't design it to be easy. He did in some sense. He wants you to be saved. It's because God does not desire for you to be ignorant. Let me put it in a nicer way. God does not desire for you to be stupid. Let me put it in a nicer way. Okay, better stop there. I'm in real trouble. That's the truth. He doesn't want you to be ignorant of his ways. Do not love the simple. If you get one thing from me today, I've seen a bunch of kids that haven't seen in a long, long time. There's a good buffet, there's a cake. So at least you put up with me, you get a piece of cake. That's got to be a good deal. If you get one thing from me today, do not love the simple. If it's simple, it's worthless. Absolutely. Do not love the simple. That's Proverbs 122. Do not love the simple. Let me give how long you simple ones would you love simplicity? That is what's wrong with the church today. It, every, every lecture is so boiled down dumb that it's worthless. And, and we've got to stop it. And if, I, if, if all I can do is break you of the habit you know, of being proud of, it's, it's no different than getting, than going through a little kid's soccer league, never winning a game, getting out scored 50 to 100 to nothing by the end, and everybody gets a trophy. It's absolutely worthless to you. That's what this is. That's what's happening in the church today. Am I ranting? Am I doing it really fast? Okay, I might still have some residual effects. Do not love the simple. Instead, Proverbs 2 2. Apply your heart to understanding, incline your ear to wisdom. If you if that's all you get from me, if you want to play the guitar and all you do is simple little chords, you will give up the guitar. If you begin to figure out what a complex or the piano or any instrument, you, you learn the complexities. Well, imagine what the Bible has for you. It has the key to your life in it. It can teach you how to live. It can do something even better than that. What can it really do? It can teach you how to die. That's what's so cool. And you need to know how to live until you die. That's what it does. By the way, right now I said that I was going to do Ezekiel 38. I have it here. Oh, it's really close by. <laughs> Ezekiel 38 and 19. Why am I going to do Ezekiel 38 and 19? Because it's happening right now. The great prophecy of Ezekiel 38 is forming in the Middle East. The confederacy that gets together and attacks Israel is happening today. It's on the news today. Isaiah 19 is happening today. There are two countries, three countries that are blessed. One is Assyria, one is Israel, and one is Egypt. And Egypt is in the process of being blessed today because of what the army of Egypt is doing. 
that army of Egypt rises up and fights the Antichrist in the tribulation. And the Assyrian nation of Assyria exists today. It has not existed since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it in 586 or 585 BC. And it's back today, you young people in your lifetime. There's an Assyria, it's Kurdistan, and that army, Isaiah 19, rises up and fights on behalf of Israel in the tribulation. And God calls that the blessing of the three nations, Assyria, Israel, and Egypt. And that's happening tonight. It's on Fox News tonight. Okay. Here we go. Not necessarily in perfect order. I'm going to do the best I can. I have King Saul and I have King David. Hey, whoops. Lori has a story about Christopher. That's a great story. Christopher was being Christopher. Which means he was being, uh, what's the word I want? He had figured out that though his mother was a great athlete and very fast, that he could outrun her for short distances. So he had, and he was small and wiry and could hide in places. It took a little bit more effort to get to, and she was uh, not able to move as quickly. Were you pregnant with it? No. No, I remember. But anyway, he took off running. And it uh, was a Belucon. Yeah, Belucon. And he can't believe it. She's way over there. He should have had at least a 20 minute start. But he couldn't move. She had power. <laughs> he didn't know. That's what just happened to me right there. I was trying to write King and I couldn't do it. I was stuck. In case you wonder how my mind works, that's what happens. King Saul, King David, okay? You must remember that those guys are always together. When you find one, find the other, okay? Now, right off the bat here, so we're going to do 1 Samuel 28 and 15 equals 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So I'm saying to you, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, the rape and the murder, uh, uh, the rape of Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah and Nathan the prophet, the death of the child born, that is the same as, if you will, I'm going to say the same as, that's the same as uh, the failure to kill the Amalekites by King Saul, the witch of Endor, uh, the rising up of Samuel uh, from the dead, it's the same thing. It's even called so in the Bible here, so we'll get to it. If you haven't read it, I'm going to give you the answer now. I'm going to give you a piece to it that is very extraordinary, and you'll have to go back and put it all together on your own, and that should be okay. Right off the bat, we should notice in 2 Samuel 28, and it's got a little 15 in it as well, but mostly it's 28 and 11 and 12, okay? So right off the bat, we notice that we have two primary characters besides King Saul and King David. We have the witch of Endor, right? We have the witch who is a woman, the woman of Endor, the witch of Endor, okay? And then who is her complement? I have Bathsheba. So the witch of Endor and Bathsheba, side by side, right off the bat. The wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Okay, and then, I have adultery as God defines it here, as I said earlier. I have adultery in 2 Samuel 28, or 1 Samuel 28, sorry. And do I have adultery over here? 
2 Samuel 11 and 12. Absolutely I do. I have adultery in both places. Over here. I have witnesses over here. Do I have witnesses over there? I have witnesses. But what do the witnesses over here with Saul do? Let me put Saul right above here so we can keep track of it. This is the Saul Saul side, the King Saul side. This would be the King David side. I have witnesses over here. What do they do for Saul? They find they, they go find the woman that he knew was there because he said, "Find me a woman." They knew which woman it was, by the way. So I have witnesses. I have the two men. Do I have witnesses over here with David? And what was the reason for those two men? They're going to go get the woman for him, right? They bring Saul to the witch woman. So the two men bring Saul to the witch woman. They bring Saul. What do the witnesses do? Do I have witnesses over here? Who are the witnesses over here? What are they called? That's right. They brought Bathsheba to David. They're the messengers, right? And they brought Bathsheba. Do you see this? They brought Bathsheba. And I'll start calling her Bathy. Just so I don't have to write it. To David. So do you see the relationship now? I have a witch of Endor. I have Bathsheba. I have a woman, a prominent woman in both places. I have adultery in both places. I have two men that bring Saul to the woman. I have messengers who bring the woman to David. I got, if you want to think of it this way, I got two crimes. And I notice that the, the, the evidence for the circumstances almost the same. What, what do I think now? I'm positive I got two criminals. How do two guys do the same thing? Is the witchy woman... Sorry, couldn't help myself. <laughs> is the witch woman... I just dated that, didn't I? The fact that you kids know what I'm talking about, and, and one of you whistled the song... The fact that that's, that's the case means that your generation has no original music. You've done nothing. <laughs> you, have, you have Britney Spears and Lady Gaga. <laughs> How shameful for you. We, we have, what do we have? We have Billy Joel. We have the Beatles. You've got, you've got, what did they call her? I can't remember what they called her now. Ah, I wish I could. Somebody made a comment about Lady Gog-Gog. Do I know her name, not Gog-Gog? Yes, I do. Am I making fun of you? Yes, yes, I am. No, do I, am I afraid of hurting your feelings? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure you're not still on those pain meds? <laughs> Yeah, I have to go home and count because Lori is devious. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Okay. Witch of Endor, Bathsheba, adultery, adultery. I don't just have adultery. I have adultery, murder, and rape over here. Rape and murder. Okay? So I got rape, adultery, and murder. The rape, adultery go ahead and go together. But I'm just focusing on the adultery. Most people don't even know there's rape and murder there. They think it's just adultery, and that's a big mistake. That means that you have not paid attention to the both, both sides. You haven't looked at this. You also didn't look at 12 either of 2 Samuel. Now, the witch is really afraid of something here. I have a woman who's afraid of something. What's she afraid of over here? She starts out being afraid of 
she doesn't want to tell Saul that she's a witch. Because she knows something about being a witch. What is it? It's a death penalty. So I have a woman under a death penalty, right? Death penalty. Do I have a woman under a death penalty here? Yes, I do. Same thing. Woman death penalty. Not writing so well anymore. I have to hurry. I have the death penalty for the witch, uh, Leviticus 20, uh, 27, and I have the death penalty for Bathsheba because of adultery, Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22. Because if David says she's an adulterer, she's dead. And she knows it. And we got a problem because we have the child. And then there are Uriahs. Everybody knows she's under a death penalty. David knows she's under a death penalty because David's under the death penalty. By the way, is Saul under the death penalty? Yes, he is. It's a death penalty to do what he's doing. A Levitical death penalty. So I have Saul under death for... I have Saul under death for witchcraft. And over here I have David. Oh my goodness. David under death for adultery, for murder, and for rape. So look at your pattern now. I have two kings, both of them under the death penalty. A woman involved in both cases. Now, Saul has a secret plan, doesn't he? First Samuel 28. What's his secret plan? He's going to sneak out. Nobody's going to notice him, even though he's about 6'8", good-looking. No, I ain't going to catch Saul. Got two guys with him. He's got a secret little plan. He's going to go to a woman he knows is there. He's going to do it at night. It's plan. David have a secret plan? Second Samuel 12, 12? Oh, yeah. I got a secret plan. This isn't good. I got a secret plan in both places, or a secret, if you will, something done in secret in both places. And then a snare is laid for the witch to cause her to die, 1 Samuel 28 9. Okay, it's a snare, E F G. I'm going to do this right. There's a snare laid for her. What's the snare for the witch? Saul is the one that kills witches. He's killed them all. He didn't kill this one. You notice the pattern, by the way? He didn't kill all the Amalekites either. He always keeps somebody back. Agag lived, and a bunch of other Amalekites lived, and ultimately an Amalekite does something, probably cuts his head off. Saul does in uh, 2 Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 31. But there's a snare laid for this woman, this witch. Because if he doesn't, if he, if he just blows the whistle, she's dead. So if she does what he wants, she's dead. And yet if she doesn't do what he wants, she's dead. Because he knows she's a witch. He's got, he can kill her because he knows she's a witch. He can kill her because she is a witch. She's in a lot of trouble. How about this woman over here, Bathsheba? How much trouble is she in? There's a snare for her too. She is brought Taken by force, brought by the messenger. If she doesn't go, what's her problem? 
All the king has to do is say, this woman showed up wanting to commit adultery. What's that? What's the problem now? She's dead. So if she doesn't commit adultery, she's dead. And if she does commit adultery, she's dead. It's the identical problem in both places. Do you think that's a coincidence? Okay. Next week, I'll put this on the board in full. I'll just go through it now. Saul swore to the witch by the Lord that no harm would come to her. She knew she was trapped. She was dead no matter what she did. So she pretty much throws her hands up and she's not going to do it. She'd just soon die for being a witch, in theory, than proving she's a witch and die. So he swears to the witch by the Lord that no harm would come to her. Okay? What's the compliment with David? You have Uriah dies to save Bathsheba, doesn't he? And David plans Uriah's death, which ultimately results in Bathsheba being saved. Both women had a way out of the snare. Saul swore to the witch by the Lord that no harm would come to her. Did harm come to the witch? No, in fact, she's one of the honored women in Scripture. We'll get to that next week. How about Bathsheba? No harm came to her, and she is the mother of the beloved of God, Jedediah, or Solomon. One of the most, she is an incredible type. She gives birth to the child that dies, and she gives birth to the beloved of God. That's the two comings, the two advents of Christ. It's an extraordinary thing. So anyway, which is the good king here? Saul swears that no harm will come to you if you'll bring up Samuel. David plots the murder of Uriah. That's how David gets, which is a good king. Did you come in today saying, ooh, we have King Saul and we have King David. One of them is the good King David. Type of Christ, shepherd king. The other is the bad Saul. David's better. David is a much better person than Saul. You think that? I'll tell you who didn't think that. David. Saul says this would be number I for those of you following along. Or H. Oh no, I already did H. Ah. Saul says to the witch, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Uriah says to David, as you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. What's the obvious question? This is the same thing both places. You can do that on your own. Saul did evil before the Lord, 1 Samuel 5, 19, or 15, 19, 2 Samuel 28, 18. The thing that David has done, the word is literally evil. The thing that David has done, it says displease the Lord, but the word is literally evil. The thing that David has done is evil before the Lord, 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. Samuel is sent. Nathan is sent. Samuel comes and rebukes Saul and gives a prophecy of Saul's death. Nathan comes and rebukes David and also has a prophecy of death. But it is for the child born, right? Saul's anointing is discussed. 1 Samuel 15, 1, 1 Samuel 28, 17, 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 19. David's anointing is discussed in 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 19 and 2 Samuel 12, 7 where David is. So 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 19 is Saul's anointed anointing. 2 Samuel 12, 7 is David's anointing. Read them. Read them together. It's extraordinary 
How similar they are. Which one's a good king? Who's a good king? Um, Saul or the murderer, rapist? Which one you like here? One of them is a type of Christ. One of them isn't, by the way. <coughs> David is brought up to Saul by Samuel. It's part of his rebuke in his prophecy. Saul is brought up to David by Nathan. It is part of Nathan's rebuke and prophecy. And uh, keep running it so I don't have to repeat these too much next week. Uh, Saul lies to Samuel in 1 Samuel 15 uh, and rejects the commandment of God. David lies and God says to him, you despise my commandment. Saul is told he will die. David is told that he will live and that the child born will die in his place, which is a great prophecy. Saul falls to the ground and does not, refuses to eat. David falls to the ground and refuses to eat, will not eat. Saul is told his sons will die, 1 Samuel 28, 19. David is told his sons will die, 2 Samuel 12, 11, 10, and 11. Saul eats and arises. David arises and eats. Saul arises to go to die, goes out to battle. David arose and lived. David stayed and disgraced himself as his army went out. David had Uriah go out obediently to die. The relationship is between Uriah and Saul here. The fatted calf is slain in Saul's case. The witch, the woman of Endor, after she should have been dead, Samuel kills witches. Samuel cut Agag to pieces. He was the king of the Amalekites. She saw Samuel. What did she think? I'm going to be cut to pieces. How come? Answer that in your spare time. She's alive. And she goes and gets a fatted calf and she slays it. She has unleavened bread and Saul eats it. And in, in David's case, on David's side, I have the little ewe lambs that is slain and eaten. Fatted calf, little ewe lamb. Samuel tells Saul, you will be with me tomorrow. Bummer. David says he will go to the top. The Amalekites, an Amalekite says he killed Saul. And David then kills that Amalekite. Okay, really quickly. What does all this mean? Why did David write, none are righteous, none seek after God, none who, none, there are none who does good, no, not one. Because none means none. David knew that he was in the none. He's not a good person. He knows himself. He knows this list. He knows he's just like Saul. Saul's kingdom is taken. His kingship is taken from him. David's is not. Why isn't David's kingship taken? Who did worse? David keeps his kingship and he lives. Saul loses his and he's dead. Is that fair? Did God do the right thing? Boy, there's a couple of trick questions. It's absolutely fair. And God did the right thing. How is it fair? How is it the right and the good thing? King David knew that he did not deserve to be king. He knew he should have been put to death. Paul knew, by the way, that he did not deserve to be an apostle. Why didn't God kill him on the road? Instead, he promotes him. 
What is that? I submit that King Saul finally knew that he deserved to lose his kingship. David did evil. Saul did evil. The Apostle Paul, as also Pharisee Saul, did evil. And those three knew something. There is none who does good. No, not one. Everyone deserves death. Not you, not me. We do not do good. None does good. No, not one. And that, therefore, proves something. What does it prove? Salvation is by grace. That's what it proves in grace alone. If you say it is by any other way, you are saying that you do something. What do you say you're doing? That you do good. And you're in violation of the no, not ones. The no, not ones. Second Samuel 11, 12. First Samuel 28 and First Samuel 15. And no, not once. Why did God anoint Saul as king? Why did God anoint David as king? Why did God appoint Saul, Paul as apostle? These horrible failures, these men who do evil before the Lord. Why didn't God choose better people? What's the end? There are no better people. Get that out of your mind. Because all have turned aside, Romans 3.12. And therefore, salvation can only be by grace. It must be good. I'm sorry, it must be given. Because no one does good. No, not one. And Paul knew that. And he wanted you to know it. And that's how he proved it to the Jews. Because he knew David wrote it. And he knew why David wrote it. And he knew that forced the Jews by saying it there. He knew it would force the reader to go study these two stories. And that's what we've been doing. So let's rise and be dismissed.